Welcome back to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I'm Jason Hammonds, and I'm not an expert. I'm trying to learn all I can from those who do it best. On this episode, I chat with writer Tate Bromble. We discuss his process of writing and researching, the lessons he's learned from his collaborator Jeff Lemire, and using superhero stories to shine a light on real history. It's a wonderful conversation filled with fantastic insight on comics and creativity. I know you're going to love it. Um, but first, let's catch up. Uh, the I'm now on the holiday break. It's it's fantastic. It's allowing me some time to uh, catch up on a, a big design job that uh, I've been doing for... Um, I guess I shouldn't. I shouldn't say, but it's something that I'm sure you'll see on on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that if uh, you're following me. But uh, it's really fun and and it's it's flexing a lot of muscles I don't often get to flex. Um, thinking about compositions and designs and things like that, and it's really interesting. I'm I'm very excited to to take the things that I'm learning on this job back to uh, making comics. Um, but that's that's really all I have. I don't want to ramble on too long. This was an amazing conversation with Tate. He's the writer of comics like Barbalian Red Planet and the Black Hammer uh, uh, Guide to the Universe, I believe they called it, or the Universe Guidebook. Um, he's a fantastic writer. I'm really excited for uh, the things that Tate is doing, and I'm loving Barbalian Red Planet. If you haven't read it yet, you really, really should. It's, it's incredible. I mean, as anyone would expect from a Black Hammer book. It takes all of the pulpy fun of, of superhero comics and, you know, kind of like golden and silver age concepts and, and uh, sort of twists them and injects uh, some amazing and, and weighty thematics into it. Um, and I think uh, Tate is doing a stellar job with, with uh, I mean, what is ostensibly his debut as a writer uh, uh, in the, the comics form. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. I think, uh, it's, it's going to be a great one and I hope you guys, uh, really enjoy it without further ado. Let's get on into my conversation with Tate. Welcome back to comic book workshop. I am here with the writer of Barbalian red planet. His name is Tate Bromble. Welcome to the show, Tate. Hey, Jason. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Uh, uh, Barbalian, of course, is out in stores as people are listening to this. The first two issues are out. Um, <laughs> I think it is absolutely phenomenal. It's it's certainly one of my favorite uh, installments in the Black Hammer universe. But how does it feel to you having uh, these two issues out so far of, of the first ongoing, you know, or the first uh, uh, limited series that you've written? Yeah, I... I'm very excited. It's like been a, a very long path to get here. I like mm -hmm. wrote the book um, almost a year and a half ago, and then it was supposed to come out for Pride Month of last year, or of like 2020, like this past Pride Month, mm -hmm. and then it got pushed because of COVID. So I'm just like, I'm happy it's out in the world. People, I've been like waiting for people to read it to like hear what they think. So I'm just like really excited about all that. It's got to be agonizing to to write this story and then, you know, you're already spending enough time like waiting for the book to be, you know, made and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, and, you know, like there, there's already enough of a delay to, to getting it into audiences hands. But then to have COVID, you know, uh, uh, interfere in that process, like what what was that feeling like knowing that the book was being delayed? Like how how did you process that? Well, it was like I immediately understood and it was like, fine. I was like. <laughs> The world, that's the way it is. Like, this can hold <laughs> off. Like, this is such a sure. small thing. It's fine. Um, but a huge thing I was worried about is because I was dealing with a lot of themes and topics that were, like, really important to me. And, like, I wanted that uh, Pride Month release just because of the topic. Like, it's all about the AIDS crisis and kind of celebrating um, queer heroes. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So I was kind of, I was sad that we missed that, um, like that time period. But then as things developed in the world, the themes that I was writing about became more and more relevant, (laughs) like (laughs) like, around Pride Month, before Pride Month and afterwards, um, that it was like strange to like see the book even become more relevant and kind of timely in a way. Um, So it kind of, it kind of, like it worked out in a way, it was fine that it was pushed back. Um, So it was like a strange, like understanding feeling, but then like maybe it was almost for the better. I don't know. Sure. No, I totally get that. Yeah, it definitely struck a a much different chord uh, coming out when it did than I feel like it would have initially, Um, which is fascinating to see, you know, sometimes the, the sort of the way that art can manifest in ways that makes it fully relevant to what the world is even when that's unintended and usually it feels like it is unintended you know like when mm-hmm. when stories do have that that deep resonance that sometimes the the people writing them that uh it would be you know so res even if those themes obviously that you're writing about were important and prevalent you didn't quite maybe realize that people would sort of respond to it or understand it as deeply as maybe they do now yeah yeah like for sure especially in terms of the policing that, like, I address and talk about. Um, Like, obviously, queer people, people of color, have kind of understood what over-policing and, like, what that relationship was like. Totally. But then especially, like, since March, um, February, March, April, and, like, just the huge uprising of Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. it's become so much more mainstream that I think people outside of the groups that were over-policed are now kind of more... I guess, welcoming of that message or, like, are open to it. Sure. So, in a way, like, the, those themes, because I, when I was writing it, I was like, I'm, I don't know if Dark Horse is going to let me say these things or do these <laughs> things. Like, like, I'm very clear that the villain of this comic is the police, basically. Yeah. So, I was kind of worried about pushback from Dark Horse, and they didn't, they didn't, there was none of that. Um, wow. So then I was worried, like, how are people going to, like, outside of queer communities, people of color, how are they going to, kind of respond to this mm-hmm. and because I don't know I think there's just a better understanding now that it's just become I don't know just the age we've now like it's just there's videos and people see what this mm-hmm. is it's all over the internet straight so, white people are, are actually aware of uh, yeah. the way the police act <laughs> and they might point. they might now better understand what I'm getting across which is kind of what I was worried about when I wrote it totally. Mm-hmm. No, that makes total sense. I'm I'm sure that when you're writing it, you're going, oh, are people not going to believe that police are this uh, uh, bad <laughs> or <laughs> aggressive? Yeah. And now it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, people get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I there's a lot more I want to talk about with Barbalian, but I, I do kind of want to rewind it back. You know, obviously you you are yeah fa- a fairly you know newcomer to mm-hmm. to the comics industry, right? Uh, and so I think that one thing, especially in doing research uh, uh, for this interview, one thing that came across to me uh, was that you've been a diehard comic book fan for as long as I can see. Uh, so I, I kind of want to know some of the origins of that. I mean, what do you remember what the first comic book you read was? Um, yeah, it was probably Archie Comics. Okay. When I was like four or five, I still sure. remember my... My brother, we were at the library one day, and my brother, there was like this, I don't know, some type of draw. You could put your name in, and then you would win like 50 or to 100 like Archie books. I don't know. My, <laughs> we all put our names in, and my brother, my older brother won it. And we're like, uh-huh. oh, my God. So then we went home <laughs> with 100 Archie comic books, like all these digests. That just littered my house. And I remember 
I don't know if any of my siblings read as many as I did, but I read all of them multiple times throughout my entire wow. childhood. Um, That's amazing. So it was probably Archie. And then <laughs> as soon as I was in elementary school, it was then the Bone series by Jeff Smith, oh, which just yeah. like completely changed my life. <laughs> I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> I love fantasy. I love this humor. I love the story. Sure. It was just the perfect thing. Every scholastic order in my at school, I'd order the next Bone book. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. And then I, met, I eventually went into superhero comics when I was like 12. 13 I think Uh, what do you remember the first time that you went into a a specific comic book store yes and I was like so nervous and I was like (laughs) I don't know who I am or what I'm doing or what's going on or how to start um but I did so much research ahead of time and really I'm gonna like I'm gonna like reveal how my age but (laughs) how young I am but I remember researching like the new x-men academy Uh like academy x like Uh chris yost that, that book And I remember being like, this is what I want. Like, they're my age. They're, like, kind of teens. Um, Like, and they're X-Men, which is my favorite because I loved all the movies. Uh And then I, like, went into the comic shop. I'm like, I want this one. And then that was, like, the first comic I ever really bought at a comic shop. Um, Wow. And I don't remember what issue it is, but they're all, like, coming out of graves. And I know the cover is just, like, ingrained in my my mind. but yeah, so it was that, and then I've just always done. I've been such an X Men diehard. So interesting. I, I think that I think that you and I might um, share a similar thing where it's uh, you all, you feel this twinge of guilt anytime you talk about the first comics you read because most of the time someone you're talking to is going to be older and be like, I yeah. remember that was I was an adult when that came. That you was know, ten like, years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I anytime I talk about like, oh yeah, I remember you know. Uh, uh, Jeff John's Teen Titans it was like number five or whatever with with Kid Flash coming out and, and like, what that was <laughs> that was this century I know. I know that's like mine and Jeff Lemire's entire relationship where he's like you haven't read this and I was like Jeff I was I wasn't born <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. he's like catching me up on all of those but yeah that's it's funny that's so funny I uh I, I saw, yeah, I saw, I saw in, in some of the interviews I read that, that you were a big X-Men fan, which total like, it's, the one thing you said, and I think it was the Doom Rocket interview, you talked about how, how you, you feel as though queer people tend to identify the most with the X-Men line of books, and I had never realized how true that was until I was like, wait a minute, so many of my friends are the biggest yeah. X-Men fans <laughs> in the world. Yeah. And then you think about it, you're like, oh, of course, it's 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 these stories about people who like have had to you know hide who they are, who find yeah. a place where they can be embraced and actually loved for for who they are, and like, yeah, I don't know, it's very interesting. I yeah. um I've never read the the Yost and, and Kyle run though. I, I should have, I should pick that up at some point. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It like it's probably impacted so much of my writing. I don't know how, but I loved it so much. <laughs> I was obsessed. I like made my parents go and buy all of the back issues up until like all through the new x-men academy x like, uh-huh. before kyle and yost got on it even and i just have them <laughs> i just love them so much yeah the, so X-Men, the x-men just feel like home i don't know i like a lot of my queer friends um we all just i don't know you just feel like home there and like they all they feel it feels like your family because so much yeah. of it it was just me hiding in my room like kind of seeing myself and the same emotional problems and conflicts in their day-to-day life like i saw in my own so it just yeah it sure. felt very real to me that makes total sense uh one thing i saw in, in research is that um and obviously uh, i guess this makes sense being that you've you know sort of been around the toronto area for for seemingly quite a while uh but it seems like fan expo was is the source of a lot of fond memories for you 
Um, when when was the first time you went to FanX, and, and what are some kind of distinct memories that uh, stick out for you? Yeah, the when I first moved to Toronto, which was 2013, I mm-hmm. think, um, I went to, like, Fan Expo right away. I'd never been to a convention before because I had lived in a small town. Sure. Um, and then went, in, went to university in Toronto. So then I, the first year I was there, I was like, oh, my gosh, now I can actually go to a convention. And I, I remember waking up so early and going to the Toronto Convention Center and, like, waiting in this huge line for two hours um, to get into Fan Expo. And it was, like... So overwhelming, and I was with a friend who, like, was, like, geeky and, like, into games and stuff, but not really comics. Uh-huh. But even just seeing him, like, we had so much fun, and it was, uh, it was, like, it was such a blast, and it was just amazing to see comics celebrated in a way when it had been such a personal kind of totally. thing to me. Because, like, I, I was in a small town, no yep. one else read comics. Um, <laughs> it was kind of, like, this, not really, not really a secret thing, but, like, just something I, I did and didn't really have anyone to talk to about. Yeah. Um... And I remember in high school, I don't know, grade nine probably, mm-hmm. some, some of my friends like teased me about it and I was so insecure <laughs> and sad. So I stopped reading comics for a while and I was like, oh my sure. God. Um, so anyways, and then, so it was just really nice to see and I loved the community aspect, which I think, I think everyone kind of connects to that. Totally. I, man, I, you kind of brought me back because I, I also grew up in a small town in Utah and uh, definitely no one that I knew read comics. And like I, I once brought I for Christmas one year, I got the um, Jim Lee Batman Hush Absolute Edition, the nice. giant like oversized thing, wow. which I still have. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like took it to school one day in my backpack uh, and like was reading it. I can't remember if it was at lunch or like during some wh- wherever it was. I was like reading the book and it was open and obviously you know what Jim Lee's art looks like right it's mm-hmm. very uh uh exaggerated and and that book is full of like you know pretty pretty cheesecakey kind of stuff and so someone saw it and was like that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life I don't what what are you doing why do you have that and I from that point I never let anyone see that uh-huh. any comic books <laughs> like, this will just be the thing that I keep in my closet and no one knows about it uh and then, yeah, same type of feeling. You go to the, your first convention, you're like, oh, my God, there's actually people who are around here that, that like this. That's, yeah. Where have they been? Yeah. Um, so, so what did you, you go to school for? You, you talk about uh, uh, going to university. What, what was your major? What did you study? Yeah, so I studied media production, so like mm-hmm. film and TV stuff. Um, I specialized in TV writing mm-hmm. um, and did, like, did a semester abroad where I focused on film writing and animation. Um, wow. So it was just a lot of, it was mostly TV broadcast, mm-hmm. um, but then a lot of it was also like single cam dramas and uh, all that fun stuff. So yeah. that, I took a lot of that writing experience and it was helpful in kind of transferring to comics. Sure, totally. I one thing that seems obvious is that you've you've been pretty well traveled. Um, you know, looking looking through like social media and stuff like that, it feels like you've been to every country in the world. Uh, what what are some of the things that you feel like um, h- how that impacted you, and and especially as a writer, but but in general, like what are some of the big memories you take with you from you know kind of traveling around so many different parts in the world, and obviously studying abroad. Well, genuinely, I think most people that have traveled a bit is like it's mostly the people you meet and like the stories you hear mm-hmm. especially if you're in hostels or meeting new people or traveling alone you're kind of forced to meet 
people literally from all over the world, from all these different backgrounds and experiences. And you make like these brief friendships that kind of, I don't know, they stick with you much longer and they'll stay with you forever. And you hear all these stories, you hear what they've been through, um, why they're here in this moment. And you kind of, you get a better, a better understanding of the world and kind of, of people and humanity and how, I know it's like the cheesiest thing, but like how much we're all alike, even though we come from such different places. Sure, um, yeah. So I do, I have never thought too hard about it, but I'm sure it impacts like my writing. <laughs> sure. Um, and kind of what I bring hopefully to my writing, which is just the humanity um, mm-hmm. and these people's like just experiences and points of view, I guess. No, that makes total sense. That uh, I think it's it's probably hard to to meet people from that many different backgrounds and not have it in some ways create a more um, empathetic uh, uh, way of writing and then, you know, a more nuanced understanding of, of different characters. Uh, I, I'm curious in those travels, uh, it seems like you ate a, a decent amount of ramen uh, through oh, those yeah. travels. And I'm wondering where the best bowl of ramen is because I'm still in search of it. Well, it's, it is genuinely in Tokyo. So, <laughs> like, you can't go wrong with that. That makes um, sense. Is there a specific place that stands out to you? Oh, my gosh. It's, like, Tokyo is one of those places where you can go anywhere and you'll find incredible ramen. Like, you won't find a bad ramen there. Um, uh, the one I found was just, like, I don't even, it's all a blur, but, like, just off a random <laughs> side street, someone was, like, do you want ramen? And me and my friends were, like, yeah. <laughs> and we... Just went in and had a bowl Pulled of Pulled it out of his trench coat and gave it to you? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, but no, it was amazing. Or there's like really small mom and pop shops where it's literally just a counter in like mm-hmm. a, a back alley. Like a, <laughs> an alley full of all just like different counters. Um, and you sit at the counter, it sits like two or three of you. And they make oh. it like right in front of you. It's the smallest place. But it's like this, just this like mother who will craft you the perfect bowl of ramen. <laughs> and it's just. It's amazing. <laughs> are you are you more of like a dipping noodle guy, or do you prefer like a classic tonkotsu, or like maybe a, a shio? What's what kind of your, is your is your ramen go to? Um, I've I'm mostly down for the shio. Okay. Um, back then I was eating. I don't eat meat anymore, but like oh, gotcha. I was so down for like um, all the katsu and everything as well. But sure. but yeah. I miss my, I, I now have to do like vegetarian broth ramen and it's not the same, but I, sure. I talk myself through it. It's fine. I, you know, I, I do still eat meat, but I try to like uh, make myself vegetarian dishes from time to time. And it, yeah. it is a huge, awesome. like, att- you know, it's, it's a, it's a big science of like trying to figure out how to get really flavorful stuff that is still vegetarian yeah. that like, yeah. you know, different varying levels of like healthy or whatever, but it's. It's a challenge. I, I uh, respect anyone who does it full-time. Um, I, I really need to know about Don Hughes and the Rise of Eve Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. You found that? I found that. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thesis project for, um, for my undergrad. Uh, okay. And I was just a part of the team. It was led um, by two of my classmates, and I was kind of brought on to script the comic portion. Interesting. Um, is the is the website up? Like, were you able to find it? Unfortunately, the website was not up. I was able oh. to find like the Instagram account and okay. some of the descriptions. So, to me, what it seems like, and and tell me if I'm wrong or you can you can you know correct, but it seems like it was a film that also had a tie-in, like sort of comic that was part of the story. Yeah. Is that... So, so basically, it was like a comic book, and then you would start it, read it, and then you would get to a QR code. One of the 
panels was a QR code, and you'd pull out your phone and scan it, and then it would show up, like a, a video segment would show up to continue the story. Oh. And then when you were done the video, you would flip the page and continue in the comic until there was another QR code. So it went back and forth between comics and film. That's amazing. That's that's an incredible project. Yeah, Who's... it was like it was really cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Whose brain did that come from? Who sort of? So, uh, I, so it was Yona Strauss is the was the producer of it, um, and she worked with with um, another writer producer named Izzy, and they, they it was their idea. Um, but neither of them had ever done comics, so sure. I kind of, I don't know, they reached out to me, or if I reached out to them, but they knew I loved comics. Um, so then that was actually, like, my first comic I'd ever written. <laughs> wow. <laughs> was this one. Um, yeah, it was really fun. It was cool. I, I, I didn't have much to do with the story. Mm-hmm. I, like, literally just transcribed their film script to the comic portions. Interesting. Um, and then our artist, Katie, did, like, the art for it. Yeah. It looked from everything I saw. It looked really interesting. I I, I love the. It is first cool. One. Yeah, the the film portion is incredible. Like our DOP and everyone involved in that made it look so beautiful. It was so good. Hey, you've got to see if you can uh, uh, track some of that stuff down and and get someone to post it online again. Because I would I would absolutely love to read and watch that. Yeah, I'll fi- I'll try to figure that out. I'm surprised <laughs> the website's down. I thought it wouldn't be. I know. I I was when I saw there was a link. I was really excited. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be so fun!" And then uh, it didn't go anywhere. I'll do it um, again to find that for you. <laughs> that's very kind. I I really appreciate it. <laughs> really selfish ask. Um, but it's really interesting because it did seem like from from what I could tell that you didn't necessarily you know at least you know sort of in the early days and and when you were in college didn't intend on writing in comics at first you know it seems like you've always you know wanted to write but it, it didn't seem yeah. like comics was necessarily the medium that you would write in more one that you were gonna be a fan and reader of uh, mm-hmm. when was the point where that started to change in your head. Was it working on that that started to make it change, or was it later that you started to to consider maybe you might start writing in comics? Yeah, no, it actually was definitely that project because um, I'd always wanted to write for TV, Mm -hmm. so that was kind of the path I was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there was a time where I was like, I'm going to write film, but that's like (laughs) every year later. Um, But then I was like, I want to do TV, and then I went to school for it, and I was... Um, took all those writing classes, had come up with some pilot scripts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was my thesis project. And just the process of like coming up with a comic script was really fun. Um, I remember having like Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics open so that I could, yeah. like, could like, I don't know, just have a crash course. And then just kind totally. of taught myself how to make story work. And it was weird because it was, it was an adaptation from like a film script because they'd already yeah. written it all that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was me transcribing it to comics. So it was like a fun way to learn. Um, and then after that, the next kind of like push or like kick in the face that made me start writing comics was I was interning for a producer who was adapting Jeff Lemire's Essex County yeah. um, for the CBC here in Canada. The, and, the long-awaited adaptation. Oh, my gosh. It is like <laughs> I've been like on this adaptation since 2016 and it's still going insane um, um but it will be it's more and more likely it's going to be made soon, Man, soon. i uh, i just started working in animation and i'm only now getting a taste of what it feels like to work on something that won't be coming out for oh four years and it's insane i'm so I used to know. tv 
I don't know how, well, just even TV, like, I don't know no, how I producers, you, yeah. producers have to have, like, the most drive out of anyone <laughs> to keep these productions alive. I don't know how. Um, but, yeah, so I worked on, I was interning and I, on that, and I asked mm. to be in the writer's room, and then I met wow. Jeff Lemire through that, because he came in to kind of just be in the room and see how everything was going. Mm-hmm. And then we connected, like, right away just over our love for comics um, and became friends. And then we've been in touch all throughout that. And then I was kind of talking to him, I remember, during a break in the room. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to write TV, but this seems like, how do I even get into this? It seems so difficult um, to, to just, like, land that TV writing job and start making yeah, scripts. Really. And he yeah. was like, you love comics. Why wouldn't you, like, just write comics? And I was like, why had I never thought of that? Because <laughs> it just, because comics was such a personal thing, I didn't know anyone that made comics until I had met Jeff. Sure. And then I was like, that didn't even seem like in the realm of possibility. Like, how do I even, like, TV seemed hard. I was like, comics, how do I even, that seems even more niche. Totally, yeah. How do you find an artist? What What is it? How do you deal with a publisher? Like, what yeah, is there? Yeah. It's not like there's a... Like in TV, at least there's a route, right? And I think this yeah. is something you and I have in common where it's like, okay, I can start as like a PA or an intern and then slowly like sort of work my way up. There's a there's a defined ladder. But yeah. in comics, there's no ladder. It's just the Sahara Desert and everyone wanders their way through. <laughs> basically. <laughs> so then, yeah, so he basically was like, just write comics, Tate. So then I started coming, I started coming up with ideas and writing scripts that were never made. I don't know if they'll ever see the day, light sure. of day, but... Maybe one time. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah. And then I was assisting Jeff and working with him on some stuff, especially in TV. Sure. And then he, because I knew Black Hammer so well, he asked me to write the encyclopedia. Um, and then that was kind of my first foray into, like, Black Hammer and everything. So tell me tell me about throughout your sort of... Um path in in kind of the tv you know assistant land and obviously you know being able to go into the writer's room like you said what did you learn about writing that you hadn't necessarily previously learned in just observing the sort of things that you were able to observe yeah yeah oh my gosh writer's rooms are like my favorite place in the world even though they're like something like it seems silly because it's just a bunch of people in a room playing like imaginary and you're mm-hmm. just throwing ideas around but and like sometimes it's the most frustrating thing because like you can't break a story and your brain is so exhausted mm-hmm. and then you like have to take a step back and be like we're just talking about stories <laughs> but um it's just i learned so much about especially balancing stories characters mm-hmm. all of the different arcs i learned so much about just like scene work and making sure each scene has like that purpose and that focus um mm-hmm. It's like, I think most of it really, because in TV, you, there's so many steps before the script gets, gets done. Yeah. It's like you brainstorm, you kind of make a rough outline, and then that gets sent away with a writer to make an even more in-depth outline, and then that gets looked over, and like, <laughs> there's all this, just these steps to really make sure you're getting like the core of the script down well. Yeah. That um, I think I really, that's probably what was one of my biggest kind of like learning curves was to do that. Um, that makes sense. And really nail everything down before you even get to the scripts, the script stage. Sure. Um, so I think probably that, and then also just like the act of brainstorming and kind of throwing everything up on the wall and seeing what sticks. That yeah, that's a huge thing. I it was it was interesting like working because I worked on Sabrina for two years, but I was in post, and so like our writers' room was thankfully in the same 
office and so I would like be there often while it was going on but I was never in the room of course I had another job to do uh but during COVID, the thing that was interesting was was now all writers' rooms are on Zoom, and yeah. you know my my girlfriend happens to be a TV writer, and so suddenly every day when I'm working on like art stuff in the background is just a writers' room going on, and I'm able to like sit and listen and observe. It was a really um, it was a really interesting and eye opening thing just to hear, and especially it was for a, a new TV show, and so people laying down this groundwork for the first yeah. time is fascinating because, yeah. like you're saying, it's so much throwing stuff at the wall trying yeah. to figure out what sticks trying to figure out what the show is over yeah. you know and like, that's, yeah that's the most exciting stage where you're like we anything there's no limit it can be anything we want and you're like mm-hmm. everyone is so excited to make the best show and then it's like later in the room when you're really trying to like finesse <laughs> it that everyone wants to kill each other but like that <laughs> early those early days of just playing imaginary are like the most fun to have it's great yeah so t- tell me about the feeling uh with Bla- black hammer uh with the encyclopedia first off uh, when was the first time that you saw it in a store and what was the sort of feeling that you had? Oh my gosh, I have like a picture of myself holding it so happily. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like very cool to see it like up there and it's like next to, I remember it was like, I remember exactly, it was just cool to see it next to like Batman. It was like uh-huh. Batman and there was like Black Hammer and I'm like, what the heck, this is crazy <laughs> and my name is right there. Um, so it was like a really cool surreal experience yeah um sometimes i think like my family and friends experience it like more fully than i do because i'm kind of just in awe and kind of like i don't know it got part of me shuts down and like can't comprehend sure um so it's really i love just seeing how it's really nice seeing everyone so happy and excited for me and that kind of makes me even more thrilled Mm -hmm. um but it was really really cool i don't know how else to describe it (laughs) i i no, i totally get you i that project is so fun to me because it, I mean, like all things with Black Hammer, it kind of recaptures and recontextualizes a lot of the, um, what seems like the really fun things about Marvel and DC comics from before you and I were born is mm-hmm. like that, the who's who of the DC universe or whatever, yeah. which like I have no attachment to because that was, you know, what, 10 years before I was born or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, it's that stuff where you're like, oh, I can, this is like, and, and especially for a, you know, a creator owned comic to have this in-depth of a sort of uh, sense of world building to be like, yeah, we can publish a, you know, universe encyclopedia and people will buy it and be very excited about it. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite comics legitimately because it is so unique in the, in the uh, grandstand of like the comics market. Yeah. I like, I had no idea if people would read the encyclopedia. <laughs> so I just like, I had, I think it was like something Jeff, really wanted done because he loved the who's who comics and like he collected them all and then bound them himself in like a in a hardcover so then he Mm. like sent me home with a huge with like this huge who's who compendium like just hardcover (laughs) a brick that like i read through Uh Um, and then and it was just like a dream of his to kind of have his own universe that had its own who's who sure so i i didn't know if anyone (laughs) could read it because especially because i knew it was like a passion project of Jeff's that he just wanted mm. to publish. So I just like <laughs> I did the most ridiculous things in like the in like the fine print of that encyclopedia. I think I yeah. said because everyone has like a hair color. I think I said Anti God had in, infinite hair. Like I the, think you did. Yes. <laughs> instead of a color, there's just the infinity symbol. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means, but like I just, no one does. That's I why just, it's perfect. 
<laughs> but I just did ridiculous things like that. But I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to notice these, but it brings me so much joy. <laughs> um, so I did things like that. And then I teased a lot of stories that might not ever even be told, but I was just like yeah. having so much fun. Because um, so many of the, a lot of those characters didn't even have comics. So Jeff was like, just make up whatever. So then I made it up, and then now it's canon, so it's fine. <laughs> I, made, I made the metal Minotaur a lesbian, and I am so happy about that. Hell yeah. I, I gave her, she, I forget the character's, her wife's name in the encyclopedia. But in Black Hammer, there's like a C-list villain named the Sultrix, I think. Mm-hmm. Who's never been, I think she was in Sherlock Frankenstein, but nothing else. Um, mm-hmm. But I always intended that that was the Soltrix's real name. So if you see Metal Minotaur, <laughs> or like who she's married to is the Soltrix. That's, that's amazing. Do you, do you remember anything in the encyclopedia that you uh, had fun with or tried to throw in that wasn't uh, approved or anything that, that you sort of got shot down on? There was literally nothing. <laughs> like the whole, like with Jeff and Dark Horse, I've just, like they've not shut down anything. Um, uh-huh. I've always been surprised about. Um, some of the encyclopedia, like, um, like things about like the Unteens, their comic hasn't come out yet, but oh. I knew the story, so I I didn't make that up. Like that's Jeff's story. Sure, sure. Um, but all of like the smaller minor characters, I just I don't even know who wrote who read it at editorial or like if they were worried <laughs> at all. But I I just did whatever I wanted. But like I made sure it was still like good to publish and readable. Sure. Um, um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. So, so now I do want to talk about Barbalian. Uh, again, this story is amazing. It's your writing along with Jeff Lemire and then uh, art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta and Jordi Belair with lettering by Aditya Bidikar. It is an insanely beautiful book, uh, and it's, it's truly masterful. I mean, like, I think the thing that stood out the most to me reading this was that there is nothing in these two issues that feels like someone's first miniseries like there's nothing in here where you go oh okay like you know they're they're trying something out or that you know like it's not quite like this feels like a very you know polished and masterful comic uh tell me a bit about the development process for this i mean how long did you work on outlining and and fleshing out the story uh before scripting yeah um well thank you for those kind words it's really nice to hear um i honestly i sat down and did a read up as much as I could, and watched as many documentaries as I could, watched um, shows, movies, and I had like my notebook, and I just jotted down notes and ideas the entire way through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have like a lot of random facts, a lot of <laughs> experiences, um, a lot of random ideas as well that came to mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I like this is definitely a case where the research led the story. Um, like, I knew that I, I knew I wanted this to be about a superhero who suddenly realizes maybe he isn't kind of helping people as much as he thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, came, it, it became a lot about the choices we make and don't make. Um, and I knew it was about queer identity and hiding that part of ourself and discovering that part of ourselves. So mm-hmm. I had, like, those themes to kind of lead the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the research kind of drove the narrative. So That makes sense. Yeah, so like for example, I was watching this one documentary called, let me see, it's called How to Serve, no, We Were Here. Mm. Um, oh, yes. It's okay. a really beautiful, beautiful documentary. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, it's part of it, one of the subjects of is this lesbian doctor and nurse combo mm-hmm. that um, was helping uh, HIV AIDS victims in like giving them hospital space and just like holding their hands uh, because many doctors and hospitals wouldn't at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they were just these heroes that like, I didn't like, I didn't know about them. So many of my friends, so many queer people I knew didn't know about these incredible women and like that there were doctors and nurses putting their lives on the line. And especially like lesbian nurses stood up to take care of these men and mm-hmm. other people with HIV. So I was like, I need to come up, like I need this in my story. So like mm-hmm. the third issue, which isn't out yet, um, there's a character that kind of, I was able to bring in a character that kind of fills that role. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll, yeah. So, and I knew that there was, and because Black Hammer is all about pastiche and like sure. playing homage to other characters, I was like, well, there's like, there's Night Nurse is like this incredible like, <laughs> character in the in Marvel comics that helps superheroes. Um, so I want like yes. a Night Nurse in, this, in, in Barbalian. But then, I realized, me and Jeff realized that he already had a character named Dr. Day. Mm. And I was like, what the heck? This is too perfect. <laughs> so, then I, so then I came up with Dr. Day, who fought in like World War II in the Black Hammer universe. She has a daughter. And this daughter is like this lesbian woman who now takes care of like people on the streets and like H- these HIV victims. So Amazing. I'm spoiling the third issue, but like that's just an like she's yeah, that's she's, just one element. This is a character who's going to be in the third issue. Oh, so that, that's really awesome. So I, I was love like. That. So, like, the history and then what was already in Black Hammer just synced up so perfectly that yeah. I was like, this is too good to be true. Like, this is beautiful. <laughs> so I just, I designed, like, an entire issue around this new character who I just love so much. And that, um, that, to me, is, like, the beauty of, like, comics that have sort of an established universe that is able to branch out is is the the, the times when you are able to find those, you know, parts of, of continuity or those things that are in the universe and tie them into your story in a really, like, deep and meaningful way uh, that just makes the universe feel richer and more real and also serves to make the story feel, you know, more impactful and more consequential. Yeah, and that's, like, it's like that's part of what I love, what I loved doing and want to continue doing um, mm-hmm. as I make comics. Is kind of, it's just, like, the best feeling when, you, when these things sync up. Like, that's the best feeling of writing ever. Um, And I always want to be, like, additive to these universes. So I always want to, like, add things, create more possibilities, um, as opposed to just kind of cutting things off. Sure. So when I could come up with this character, it was like, oh, my gosh, it's the best feeling. So I'm excited for everyone to meet her in in issue three. (laughs) And there, I will say, there's also, there's a character that's introduced in issue two that is one of my favorite comic book characters. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You won't, you haven't seen the the last of her. I promise. I'm I'm so glad. I'm teasing too much, but she will be back. No, that's, that's great. Like, legitimately, anyone out there who hasn't read this series yet, you really, really should do yourself a favor and and pick it up because the characters, I mean, yeah, like, uh, throughout this series, and I mean, it's another one of those great things about this universe that, like, there's the freedom to take, you know, concepts and turn them into characters that you would never see in a Marvel or DC book yeah. and, and still play with. But um, I, I don't know. Do you want to say the name of this character or should we leave that for the readers to discover in, in the book? We will, we will tease it out and make people pick up this issue <laughs> and find out for themselves. That makes sense. I'm it's happy very good. I knew that. I'm happy I knew you were talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love her as well. Like, <laughs> 
it's well, and the funny thing is, before reading this issue, I didn't know that this character existed, and I would have thought that the character that I was talking about would have been Bar Bounty Hunter. But mm-hmm. after reading the issue, it's clear that there's a, a star that is uh, uh, certainly shining brighter. Um, although I am, I do want to know who came up with the name Bar Bounty Hunter. Oh, that was Jeff. Jeff is like a master of puns. I don't know how he does it. I like, because we I came up with Boa Boaz, because I was like, that's just a badass name. Yeah. And then and then, I think I wrote on the whiteboard Bounty Hunter when we were breaking the story. And then he just went over and put Barb <laughs> for it. And we were like, oh my God, we're doing this. <laughs> and then the other character in issue two, um, who was also like a punny name, mm-hmm. that was, that started... Another pun from Jeff, who then I adapted. And then when Jeff saw it in the script, I remember he put a comment being like, yes, that I actually <laughs> used it. So, it was, yeah, it was good. That's amazing. I love that. Uh, so, so in outlining the story, obviously, like, you know, prior to this, most of your writing experiences seemingly had been solo, right? You know, that you had outlined story and, and, and you know, write, written the script entirely on your own. What was it like and, and what were the sort of things that you learned from... Uh, doing this outline, breaking the story with, you know, a a very experienced comic book writer. Yeah, so the coolest thing, it was crazy. I remember we met up to break the story, Mm -hmm. um, and I came with my huge notebook of notes and was, like, (laughs) so overprepared. And then, like, I was like, I already have a rough idea of what I want to happen. Like, I want this protester to be, like, climbing, and then all of a sudden he falls, and Barbalian has to save him. and I just I had these ideas. I, I I don't know if I knew the ending yet, but I came and was like, "This is what I'm thinking, Jeff." And then we just started outlining like the steps the story could take. And I was like, "I know that I want um, I want this like night nurse character. I want this and this and this." And then we just we literally we broke it in like I want to say an hour or less. And I remember wow. Jeff being like, "This like I I remember him saying he took off like." his afternoon, his whole afternoon or day to, like, break the story. And he was like, we've already, we're already done. <laughs> it was much faster than I <laughs> expected. So, it, like, it was very easy. Um, and the, one of the biggest things I learned from him, <clears throat> especially, was I remember being like, I don't think there's enough, like, superhero, like, bombast, like, action and, like, Martian and, like, all this, like, warlord stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm worried that, like, People won't want to hear this or won't want to read the story because it'll be boring or it's not exciting enough. Mm-hmm. And Jeff was like, no, like the whole point of Black Hammer is like the human tales at the core of the book. And then you just pepper in the superheroics to kind of fill the space and like keep like just add that excitement. So that really kind of refigured my framing of the story where sure. I was like my main worry was. And I think you really see it in the second issue mm-hmm. where the, there's like this main core story about this character and like the emotions and this history. Mm-hmm. And then every few pages, there's like a scene of like some like thrilling Martian stuff. <laughs> where like <laughs> there's Martian stuff, excitement to kind of like, I don't know, like add that excitement and pulpiness to it. Yeah. Um, so that like framing really helped me. Um, and I think that was the major thing I yeah, learned from Jeff. It's really interesting, and and I know, uh, you know, one of the other things that you mentioned from learning, uh, uh, that you learned from him was, or advice that he gave you was to basically, uh, 
you know, write the script and then, you know, or hand them the script and, and let them do their thing, the art team. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That which was is really thing. interesting. Because I've heard that he's notoriously hands-off with... Oh my with, gosh, it's ridiculous. I, like, he's like, <laughs> well, like, not really, like, in a good way. Like, yeah. he... Because I've seen... I've seen a lot of Jeff's scripts, and then I've mm-hmm. seen the comics come to fruition. Like, it, with the, a major one is Gideon Falls, where yeah. you see Andrea's artwork, and, like, it, like, it's crazy. It's so, like, it allows kind of the artist to bring so much of themselves to the work. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know how an artist would bring that level if Jeff's scripts weren't so hands-off. Because, like, yeah. if you see the layouts Andrea comes up with... Oh, my with, God. You'd, like, none of that is scripted. It's just Jeff being like, here's the story, here's the bare bones, now do whatever you want with it, bring your craft to it. Well, so there's think, so much of it that, like, you couldn't script. Like, Andrea, the stuff that yeah, he yeah. does is unable to be scripted. Like, I, I read some of those pages, <laughs> and, like, there's just... I don't know how I would describe this. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why, like, so many artists love working with Jeff, and it's because he kind of lets them do their thing. Well, mm-hmm. there's still going to be that emotional core and, like, that exciting story um, sure. that makes the comic, like, good. So yeah. it's just... That is another major thing where, like, I didn't... There was only... There was some... Feedback I think Gabriel Gabriel just on like continuity stuff or like history stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think there was a sign referencing AZT, even though like it wasn't a thing yet or available yet um, sure. for HIV positive people to use. So like it was more like that stuff. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I was like Gabriel, do it, do do your thing, and everything was much better than I could ever imagine. Of course, he's also just a master. So <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you you got a hell of a team with you to 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 get this book going. And I you know I'm curious about that. This this being your first published comic, right? It is it is a very established property. Uh, it is a creative team that is an absolute all star lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of eyes on it. I think that you know I, most comics writers sort of have the gift of like toiling in anonymity for a while, making their mistakes in private. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you? felt like vulnerable at all or that like you have far less margin for error because the work you know this book is so high profile i mean how how do you sort of respond to that um well genuinely i knew that no matter if even if i messed it up <laughs> my <laughs> my dialogue was terrible or my script was bad like it was going to be beautiful sure. and like comics are all about the art and i was like walta and belair will make this like so beautiful that it can't be <laughs> terrible (laughs) a true waste of people's money so i was i was very lucky and blessed to have that Mm -hmm. um and i don't know i like when i scripted this i wrote it all in like one like i wrote Mm -hmm. the five scripts before ever seeing any artwork so it was really this i don't know it was just so purely what it was Mm -hmm. um like i wasn't like obviously i'm i was worried that like how it would be received, like, if it would be, like, good. Like, obviously, this is my debut, and if people, are, like, a lot of people are going to be reading it, mm-hmm. um, hopefully, it, like, impresses them. <laughs> um, but at the time, while I was scripting and coming up with it, that wasn't on my mind at all. Interesting. It was, like, very much, my main concern was, like, pulling, like, play, paying homage to this era mm-hmm. uh, and, like, the incredible activists of that era, uh, yeah. the people put their lives on the line, HIV positive and pe- um, people of that era. And like, just, I don't know. I was more concerned about getting that right and not letting them down and letting, sure. I don't know, my like queer forebears let down. Um, yeah. That was like my main concern. And I was like, everything else, like nothing else matters yeah. really besides um, making sure I do them. 
I don't know, pay them the proper service, what they deserve. A hundred percent. And I, I, I think that's a really interesting thing to touch on too, is, is yeah, that you, you're obviously telling a story that has a lot of weight, you know, it's, it's very much historical fiction and there are a lot of people whose stories, you know, whose, whose stories that you are telling through obviously, you know, analogs and the filter of fiction and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but, but you are legitimately representing, you know, what they went through, the struggles that they went through and, and obviously the courage that they had and, and, and mm-hmm. the, the, um, you know, all, all of those experiences, how would you kind of recenter yourself anytime that you start to really feel that, that weight of like responsibility? Uh, what was your way of kind of finding your compass there? Um, yeah, that was like, that was, and still is like my greatest source of anxiety from this book <laughs> because yeah. I've seen, I don't know, books that try to do queer history or books, just history in general, mm-hmm. um, just misrepresent and get so much wrong mm-hmm. that, I don't know, that just made me so anxious that I really overread and over-researched. Um, I tried to make sure I wasn't telling a story as if that was my story, um, sure. if that makes sense. Like, yeah. Miguel um, is a gay Puerto Rican man, HIV positive, which is, like, so beyond my scope, obviously, mm-hmm. um, that I made sure that I wasn't, I don't know, pretending that I knew exactly how Miguel felt. Sure. But still kind of transcribing what I had read and what I knew about his experience in a way Mm. that, I don't know, could hopefully teach others. Yeah. Um, Because it's crazy. Like, I I live in a post kind of, like in the West, at least up here in Canada, I live in a post kind of HIV AIDS, like, crisis. Mm -hmm. And that, like, we have treatment. We have prep to kind of, like, keep yourself safe. Um, so I have no idea what it was like to be HIV positive during this period when like all of your friends, everyone you held dear was like just dying because of government neglect. Like I can't even comprehend that. So it's just how my, it was more just transcribing that idea and that pain. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of it, and that's why Barbalian was such a good kind of protagonist that I could use to kind of filter my own feelings because he was this outsider looking in on a human world like he can't get hiv he's not human like it's yeah. a, it's not miv so he he was kind of like this outsider looking in on this what was going on and kind of trying to figure out how he could help or how he could process it or how i don't know he was just like this great kind of observer yeah um, which is why so much of the story is just like his experience and what he learns from these people and how well, it affects and changes him that's and that's so interesting and that's and that is kind of a, a genius way to sort of approach it where it's like oh yeah i can only understand so much about this and you know so writing it through a character who can also only understand so much of it you know as as basically as a viewer the same way you are i mean that's a that's a great way to sort of create an inroad to the story without, you know, sort of overstepping your reach or, or, or speaking to things that you don't, you know, fully have the experience to, to, to know. Um, and I also think that the other masterful thing there too, is that the way that Mark is finding his identity through being someone else, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like this story, so much of the story is Mark changing who he is for the crowd that he's around, you know, and, yeah. and figuring out where he fits in. And so it's, it's really interesting using the, uh, using the atmosphere that it's in, using the world that it's in and the science fiction aspects of it to 
explore these really human elements of like the way that people do, you know, in some ways put on a different face depending on the room that they're in. And sometimes that face is, is a very genuine one. And sometimes it's a, it's, a, you know, a fully uh, misleading one. And I, I don't know, I like, I love it when science fiction stories are able to use those science fiction elements to uh, really speak to a, a true sort of um, human behavior. Yeah, well, my, I don't know, my own personal queer experience was very yeah. much, I remember, it's so sad, but I remember being like graduating grade eight mm-hmm. and being like, I'm going into high school. I can be like a proper man now. I'll be more masculine. I'm not going to let people think I'm effeminate. I'm going to like women. I'm going to, and I, I remember going into school in grade nine and trying like overperforming my masculinity or like only, mm-hmm. only hanging out with guys. Cause I always had so many, like all my best friends were girls. And I was like, this year I'm going to just like have guy friends and play video games. And I tried out for the freaking soccer team and I'm not an athlete, but I was like trying so hard to be something that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was terrible and it was such an awful time. And I hated high school. Like looking back, it was just such a bad time. Sure. Um, so it was just like that experience and like that feeling. Cause then when I graduated high school again, I was like, I'm starting university. I'm going to put on a new face. I'm going to be like this and I'm going to like women. And I was still trying so hard to be straight and like, like I'm just more masculine. Mm-hmm. So it was like that experience. Like that was just my queer experience. And I was like this, yeah, I have a shapeshifter who like that literally, I can like kind of talk through those feelings and what I went through, through it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that's very much intentional. It feels so honest, and I think that's that's incredible to be able to do in this in this genre particularly. Um, which again, like for anyone who hasn't read this book, like that is one of the biggest reasons to read it is that it it is some of the most genuine and honest storytelling that uh, you can find in in mainstream comic books. Um, which is a huge accomplishment, especially for your your first at bat. Um, Thank you. But Thank you. I'm of course. I, I'm curious about the first time that you saw Gabriel's art. Obviously, you said oh that you you had written the entire thing. So, what was the first piece of art that you saw from Gabriel? It was the first page of issue one. Wow. Well, I guess he, I had seen like some of his sketches, and he made a clay model of, or like a plasticine model of Barbie oh like a head. Um, so I'd seen that, but uh-huh. then when he like sent not like a scan, just like a photo, like almost finishing up the inks for the first few pages. Oh. And, like, that opening shot where it's just a full page of you staring Vermillion in the eyes. And he's yeah. all up and bruised. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, my. It was, like, one of the greatest feelings of my life just seeing that, probably. Truly um, amazing. It was, yeah, it was really cool. And then each time he, oh, my. Like, I, I don't want to overhype this book. But, like, uh-huh. the, the whole team, like our art team, the letters, Jordy, everyone, like each issue gets better and better. And I don't know how they do it. Um, but by the last issue, like Jordy alone, the things she is doing with the colors, I was like, there were times I would like go to the next page and my jaw would just drop. And I don't, and it's just like, I'm, it's just like the greatest blessing in the world. And I'm so lucky. And I don't know why, how I deserve this, but I'm very, <laughs> very like blessed and privileged. And that was kind of why I knew I couldn't mess this up. Totally. Um, so that, but yeah, it was, 
And look, speaking with no hyperbole here, like this, this book is truly like one of my absolute favorite creative teams in comics right now. Like all of you guys working together is really phenomenal. Um, Like Jordy is is certainly my favorite colorist and Aditya is an incredible letterer and Gabriel, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, especially coming off of, you know, sentient and vision, like this dude just can't stop producing himself. (laughs) every book he does i'm like how do you get better when you already did the vision yeah it's truly amazing uh so as as we you know sort of start to to wrap up here i've I've got a a few extra questions and and um i mean one of them that i am curious about is did covid change your collaboration process at all for this book or had you already basically done uh, all of the sort of, you know, elements of like in-person work and, and everything that, that you would have done. It was everything kind of the same working on this book as it would have been outside of COVID. Um, well, all of my, like COVID didn't interrupt me at all. Um, mm-hmm. I think I sent in the last script, like issue five script, like August, 2019. Mm-hmm. So it was like a while ago. Um, and then I, it did slow down our art, which is like understandable. Um, mm-hmm. And that you'd have to ask Gabriel about that. But I know that Gabriel's um, wife is like in is a microbiologist, possibly, oh, or like wow. is in a hospital, works in a hospital. So she, that like I'm sure that was like very stressful. So some of the art got a bit slowed down, which is I don't know. I think that was like the entire industry. Um, but besides that, COVID didn't really interrupt us. Besides that, and just our um, like publishing schedule. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, yeah, no, that's, I'm, I'm glad that it didn't interrupt too much. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you, you've mentioned in an interview before, uh, that Nightwing is, is one of your favorite characters. What's your favorite use of, of Nightwing in a book? Oh my gosh. I, okay. I keep saying Nightwing's my favorite character and it's because he's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's because I'm in love with him. He's beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, so <laughs> I I don't actually have, like, the most Nightwing experience beyond, like, Nick Robles' beefcake. Um, (laughs) But I do, I love what Nightwing, like, represents, how he's, like, the original kind of legacy hero. Um, Uh So I, I, and I really enjoyed, um, what was it, Grayson? Tom King's comic. I actually really enjoyed that. Um, And kind of, I don't know, it was fun. It was, it was, like, sexy and, like, spy exciting um Mm -hmm. so i really enjoy that but every time i've read like my my favorite times i've read either stuff when he was robin or when he became nightwing is just his he represents that legacy hero who kind of is like the child of the dc universe and like he's Mm -hmm. been brought up and like learned from all of the greatest superheroes um and he just represents so much hope and like kind of passing on the baton and like this future of like what will carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just love that core idea of him. And then I, I love just him because he's pretty. <laughs> of course. So, so then when are you going to be writing a comic about skeleton boy in his twenties? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that would be funny. Um, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, well, as we wrap up, I've got, I've got one little, I promised I wouldn't do any gotcha questions, but I, I unfortunately am going to give you one gotcha question. Okay. What's your favorite Jeff Lemire work? Oh my god. Um probably probably Essex County. Wow. Because well actually the first book I I don't know if Essex was the first I read of him or Trillium. Mm-hmm. Um but Essex County 
just kind of the weight of it, like the emotional just weight, and it just like sits on you until you finished it, and then it still doesn't let go of you because it's just, I don't know, it's so I love it and it's haunting but like beautiful, um, and encompasses so much of like family and community and small town life. Sure. And, like I don't know. I, just, I really love Essex County, so I'm just. I totally yeah. feel that, man. I, as someone who also grew up in a very small town, Essex County, in surprisingly, even though it's Canadian, like you know, it's mm-hmm. like, ugh. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, like it really resonated with me too. I, I, I really like that book. That's a, that's a great choice. Um, well, before we ask the same question to everyone who's who's been on the show as our as our last question, but uh, before we do that, let people know where they can find you, uh, what to look out for, and and all that stuff. Give them, give them the plugs. Oh yeah, so. On Twitter, I'm at Tate Bromble. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Tate Bromble. I don't really post much comic stuff on Instagram. It's like all my travel photos, which is probably like, where you saw all of that. Yeah, very well taken <laughs> photos, I will say. Whoever, Thank if you. it's you or if it's someone else, like whoever it is, has an eye for uh, the camera. <laughs> and then I have a website, tatebromble.com. You can see, find stuff there. Um, and things to look out for. Uh, nothing immediately I can hype up. Um, this isn't the last you've seen of me in the Black Hammer universe. Oh, good. I won't be announced for a long while. <laughs> um, and then other than that, there's a lot of other exciting things in development that will hopefully see the light of day one cool. day. Well, uh, the last question that we ask everyone, Tate, is why do you love comics? Oh, my gosh. I love <laughs> comics because, I don't they just... They are the perfect transference of like emotion and imagination, and and joy, and I, I, they just make me feel so warm and happy and at home. Uh, so I really love them because I don't know they can tell stories like no other medium, really. So that's why. Wow. Tate, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. This was really nice, and I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. And thanks to Tate for joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Tate Bromble. I also want to thank Sean Rosner for the music of the show. Make sure you follow him on Instagram at Sean the Rosner. And most importantly, thank you all for listening. I've got some more amazing guests lined up for the new year. Um, And so follow the show on uh, Instagram and Twitter at TMBC Workshop. Um, And you can follow me at Jason Halftones on Twitter and Instagram as well to keep up on everything. Um, You can head over to thatmightbecool.com as well. We've got uh, other podcasts like Disaster Girls, where Jordan Cruciola and Amanda Smith uh, go through disaster movies, uh, both large and small, uh, and and try to take them on their own terms and and see how they hold up. It's a fun podcast. You'll hear me pop up on there uh, every once in a while. But Jordan and Amanda are amazing hosts, and uh, I think it's a really incredible show. Um, If you like this show, uh, please drop a rating or review on whichever podcast app it is you use. We really appreciate that stuff. It it helps us a lot um, in terms of seeking advertisers, in terms of finding new audience, you know, new new listeners like yourselves. Um, You know, once the pandemic is over, then uh, that type of stuff will, you know, allow me to get a lot more interviews and, you know, go to conventions and stuff like that where, you know, we're really able to uh, get a lot done in a short amount of time. Um, so, you know, please, if, uh, if you're enjoying the show, please let us know and, and leave those reviews. But again, thanks for listening and uh, keep at it.
thatmightbecool.com. You never know. <laughs>